listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, it's the tail end of what my guest today and his giant tech company now bill as the biggest AI conference in the world. Yes, it's the annual Monster Fest from Salesforce known as Dreamforce. I think maybe 40,000 people have shown up in real life and they tell me millions have been streaming in online. This week really was about applied artificial intelligence. No thread of Salesforce's vast product suite was spared from the machines and some of it is pretty crazy and wild. But rather than go through a revved up audio version of a PowerPoint presentation on what all this new kit might do for anyone in marketing, sales, service, data, commerce and beyond, we're going to talk with Salesforce's APAC CMO, Leandro Perez, on how he's applying all this with his own team of, I think, about 100 or so people across the region. What's he discovering in using AI in personalization, creative work, marketing tactics and strategy? What's changing in the day-to-day tasks and roles of his people? and what are the emerging capabilities needed in his marketing team. It should get super interesting. So welcome, Leandro. I'm exhausted. You're probably chipped with some AI super silicon battery and feeling fine. Uh, But welcome. Great to have you on the mics. You mentioned AI, and yes, it's everywhere uh, this week in San Francisco at Dreamforce. If anyone's going to know what's going to happen in, in a marketing context with AI, it's going to be you, given that you're at the front end of the technology. I'm, I'm assuming you might be using your own tech. How's that for a big assumption? What are your learnings, what your team learnings uh, have been over the last, I, I guess you've been piloting, trialing stuff for probably six, eight months or longer, perhaps. There's AI concerns. Everyone's got something that they're worried about, right? Did you and your team, when you started to see this big shift from HQ on a ramp up in AI, was there any concerns or what were they that you and your team had at any point or are you genuinely just sort of superhumans? Well, look, I firstly will say that we've been using AI for a long time. Obviously, generative AI is the new trend and it's sort of what the last eight or so months, maybe even less actually. But uh, we have been using AI and our own product. Um, you mentioned earlier why people come. Another reason actually people come to Dreamforce is they want to hear what we do. And we call that Salesforce on Salesforce. So we kind of show them a lot of what we do. And, and we absolutely use, like I use Marketing Cloud, we use Tableau, we use Slack, Data Cloud. We're using all of our own technology. And we're usually the first user of that product. So as I would look at AI in general, some of the early use cases which we introduced in our product were uh, things like through our email marketing, where it actually can predict the best time, send time optimization. Like that's looking across, you know, you're sending a million emails. It's going to work out the best time to send that email based on historical trends. And it just does that for you. You don't have to set it on a certain schedule. So that takes something away from a typical marketer that might be arbitrarily working out. Let's just send it at 4 p.m. on a Thursday because if it fails, you know, I can check it out before Friday comes around, right? Or in my case, I send it at 7 a.m. Well, my edition goes out at 7 a.m. It could be actually the wrong time, but I don't. Well, 100%, right? Maybe we should talk there, Paul. Um, And the reason is that different countries, like if you go to India and you send something at 7am, they're they're probably not in the office. Um, They start a little bit later. Whereas in Sydney, that is the case. We do start a bit early. So, and it can do that based on the segmentation. So that's like a, a simple early use case. As you fast forward to now, generative AI 
Absolutely. We started using it. And to be honest, when we first started, we didn't have the products, right? Like it was something that came about so quickly that generative um, AI, we all like overnight just started to hear about ChatGPT and so And Salesforce pivoted very quickly. I would say we were around February when this was starting to happen and we did a hard pivot. And I was speaking to our engin- chief engineering officer yesterday. A lot of the AI capability um, all of a sudden lent more into generative AI. So we had an AI practice we've been building for the last 10 years. Fun fact, in my old role, I used to do all the global keynotes for Dreamforce and I, I launched all these things, right? So I remember launching Einstein for the first time with the fun animation. Einstein actually back then was a 2D graphic. Now he's 3D and completely rendered and very cool. But um, today, obviously, we, we weren't aware of this generative language happening so quickly. So we pivoted there. And so to your point on some of the concerns, uh, we have a huge team internally that's looking, given that trust is our number one value, that anything we do will will not harm our customers. And not that my team was doing this at first, but we were, you know, typing in a prompt and we weren't putting anything sensitive in, but you're putting it in and you're training someone else's language learning model. And uh, so we immediately got told, like, as general guidance, do not put any customer in, which our team had not done. Mm. But that's like something because we're very proactive with it. So that's a risk, which, by the way, is still happening with yeah. most people out there. So not a good idea to go and say, I want to send this email to this customer and put in, you know, what industry they're in, their name, maybe some confidential you know, PII data, make it better for me, because that's now somewhere. This in, is in the open models. This is the open go. models. Yeah, 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 the open models. So so we um, very quickly stopped using anything external unless it was like very uh, specific to you know, external public information like social media, like you might be just, hey, what's a fun way to say this, right? Like it it can be written by anyone, doesn't really matter. So we are doing things like that to speed up like our social posts and things like that. What's another way to rewrite this and have 10 variations and, you know, make it more in a tone that's a little bit less formal for Australia, a bit more formal for Singapore, something like that. But we immediately started using, as like I mentioned before, Ground Zero, um, Customer Zero, some of the internal tools that uh, eventually then became products. Um, so in Marketing Cloud, there's a lot of capability that's coming out there that we, we're using where it can generate large variations for our campaigns that we use. That's that's an easy one. Um, in Slack, you probably saw the announcement yesterday, we are all big Slack users. My team, like all marketers, have to keep across so much information. Now we have uh, AI-generated summaries of the channels. Yeah, that was interesting. Cool. That, was, that was valid. I mean, even with my team, it's like literally I came in last night and there was, you know. Well, think about it. We, um, we work in APAC, so when we wake up, Amir's been running for like five or six hours, Amir's overnight. And so what we will do is you can now have like a whole channel summarize, say, get me up to date on the latest decision. Because sometimes, you know, the decision isn't made till the end, right? It's all the variations. So that's a big win for us, number one. And it's accurate, right? It's giving you you right to the point. And then the reason it's accurate is that whole channel is usually about one thing. Right. So it's actually, it's not as hard as a normal task where you go out and you provide it to an open model where it's trying to work out, is this about art? Is it about sport? This whole channel is about one thing. Other ones are we use a lot of uh, video um, and Slack clips and things where now that can also get, and it, it transcribes it. So all of that gets summarized and can be delivered to you like on a schedule, like here's what you've missed. Here's some important things. So a lot of productivity gains for the individual, mm. which are not directly in the outbound marketing, but help my team move faster and be more productive. Another one, which is not directly for marketing, but we leverage is our sales teams. They ask for permission, but all 
calls with reps um, are recorded um, for coaching purposes and also for their managers to see how they're going. We call that uh, Einstein call coaching. So that all is captured in Salesforce now. So when my team is planning an executive event, we actually have access to all that information in a summarized form. So we now know, okay, if we're inviting, and I'm not going to mention names, but a financial customer A or B, we kind of know what's been the conversation there. So if we're going to bring in a subject matter expert or a thought leader, my team can very quickly know the right kind of person yeah, to do wow. that. So Versus a whole bunch of meetings where you're going back you've and forth. You've got to talk to the um, yeah, you know, yeah. account executive, we call it AEs. Uh, maybe they don't have the full picture, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, they just had a conversation there biased by recency, whereas this has a record of that whole individual as a contact within an opportunity. So it's really, really powerful. I want to be clear here, though, your LLMs, large language models, and, and what you use is closed, right? It's a quarantine setup. And this is where I think the we get to hallucinations and we get to sort of data security issues and so forth. This is the difference, right? Yeah. So I, I don't want to, like you said, don't want to do the presentation here. Hopefully folks will go and listen on Salesforce Plus. They can watch the whole keynote. But correct, everything that we'd use is based on our language models. You can use external, but it never leaves your instance. So anything that is part of your data is used as the technical term is grounding for the prompt. But when it comes back in, all of the confidential private information is is, um, uh, with you as the customer. And so we have our own version of that, which we use at Salesforce, so no one would have access um, to that. And then beyond that, what's really interesting is that because it's your own, you don't have as many hallucinations because it is grounded with the information you provide it and then it's already trained on everything else you're talking about. So it doesn't need to decide when you say, um, you know, some of those words that can mean two things. I'm blanking on an example now, but uh, <laughs> that's a good test, actually. I thought of one, but I can't, I can't say <laughs> so, um, Sometimes, you know, something will mean two t- different meanings and it doesn't need to decide whether it's an art word or a rugby word or whatever. Yes. It, we're in, you know, in our case, CRM, B2B sales, right? Yeah, and yeah. so... Interesting. So let's talk about hallucinations. There's been a lot of talk about it this week. Your big boss, Mike Benioff, basically said hallucinations is a nice way to say it. It's actually lying. And, and I, that's what I, like we, do, we do like Mr. Benioff for that um, because he does call a spade a bulldozer. At the same time, I, I saw Mark talk with Sam Altman, who when he put to him about hallucinations, my take on it, you may you may have a different version of a view on this, but it was almost like Sam said, well, it's almost it's a necessary trade-off to get where we want to be and hallucinations are just that. What's been your best or craziest hallucination? Ooh. Well, <laughs> this is a more uh, a personal one, but I was working uh, not with Salesforce, but external tools. I was uh, working on, a, I was doing a little bit of extended education and I asked it uh, to help me with like an accounting question. It needed to be some, it was part of an MBA. And uh, I asked it to work something out and it completely made the numbers up, which is why I mentioned before with the earnings can be generated. And I submitted it. And it was one of those tests where you submit the number and it was wrong. And I was like, now I felt like such oh, a dummy, right? Like I should have double checked the number. Because it had a whole narrative and it said, and the answer is like 3.25. And I was like, all right, that was like a ratio that it was calculating. And it, I don't know what it did, but it completely calculated it wrong. And so it made me remember like to tell my kids like, hey, if you're using this for school, uh, make sure that you're double checking, especially the numbers, because a word can mean something and still be okay, but a number is a number. And if it's wrong, it's wrong normally. Um, so do you still need the same size team with all this efficiency? 
Well, look, uh, I think I hold this position, especially for us in your audience, is mostly uh, similar to my remit in, in Asia Pacific or ANZ in particular. We never have enough people to do what we need to do anyway, right? Especially if you have big visions like I do from everything from brand to demand. And so there's no shortage of work. And I think what I've mentioned to you before is over the years, we've kind of given ourselves more tasks. So you might have done one social post when social media came out, but now there's multiple platforms and you need to post the same thing multiple times to make sure people see it. And so that just became busy work, right? Like the creativity of the original post is the uh, the cool part, the marketing part. The creating 15 versions and reposting it across other platforms and then ensuring it's scheduled is not marketing, right? It's just operations work. So that is where gaining productivity and being able to have one version that someone, a human, came up with and then have the AI augment and be the co-pilot for the human and create multiple versions so that they can then go and do the next version um, that is creative as opposed to a duplicate and slightly different is where we get productivity gains. So I personally not getting any pressure to reduce size of team, but if anything, uh, and we're in a great position where we're a growing company, we want to tackle more challenges and I need creative people to do that. So for me, it's about taking away some of the work that truly was never marketing and coming back to giving people and unlocking that creativity that I have in the team. And do you think that holds for a lot of companies in various sectors across the globe? Yeah, look, I think it varies by industry and company. I would say overall, if you talk to the C-suite, of course, they're always looking to work out how they can either grow uh, or reduce costs. Um, But generally the customers I talk to, I'm not hearing that they're saying, hey, in customer service, I'm looking to, you know, halve my customer service team. If anything, it's about how can I get them to do more valuable work? So how do you deflect the person calling up because they can't find their order when that could be a chat bot or or that could be found automatically with AI and uh, generative AI? And give that instead to be a much more white glove service for the customer who's trying to understand um, the difference between two products and you're actually going to help them make a sale. So actually, With our early customers, what we're learning is that the service department can become a sales department too if they have more time and they're not just measured on getting rid of the customer (laughs) as quickly as possible. Time spent, right? Well, think about, yeah, think about that. Like historically, if you call an airline, it's like how quickly can you get them off? Whereas, you know, if they know me, I travel a lot, right? Like I'm here in San Francisco. Next week I'm going to be in Singapore. And if they told me that, hey, there's a better flight and maybe you want to stay at this hotel versus that uh, and there's an upgrade, maybe Wi-Fi, do you want to buy it now? I'd be like, sure, that sounds great. As opposed to when I call up, they're just trying to get rid of me. Um, So that's happening a lot. And and it's not just the high-end brands, actually, because everyone wants to differentiate on customer experience. If there is all this new time from AI releasing uh, or taking the mundane out, what are your people doing now then? So what are they doing? So you talk conceptually about, okay, they're, they're freed up, but okay, what are they doing? What is your team doing now versus what they were doing seven or eight months ago that's better or different? Yeah, like I mentioned, we are a growth company. So we always want to do more campaigns. So if a, if a campaign for one of our products, and we have many, can be out the door faster they can then get to the next product, right? And we, we always run out of time to cover every industry, every product, that all the matrix of permutations we have in every country. So usually I'm telling the sales team that we started off the conversation with, 
help me prioritize your top three industries and your top three products for this quarter because I can't get to the rest. I'm having less conversations about I can't get to the rest because now I have the same size team, but I can actually get to the rest. So that's that's what's exciting for me. Of course, then I still am asking for more people because I always want more, but it's an easier conversation to tell my leadership, I'm actually getting through more and it's working and it's delivering for the company. Now can I have more versus just saying because I can't do it anymore because all of the steps involved to get it is is becoming more difficult. Does everyone want to be creative? Because there's a lot of process-orientated people that like you know, it, it, it's sort of struck, they're like structure and routine. So th- does this depend on the, the sort of the individual as to where the the freed up time that AI may deliver? Is there a process role for people? Yes. And when I say creative, I don't mean I have a whole bunch of Van Goghs on my team you know, <laughs> yeah. sitting there thinking about the next piece of art, but it's like as simple as someone can spend more time on the copy for a headline on the website versus, um, you know, someone else might be a better way to deliver that video experience for an event down to I'm sending a direct mailer. Is this going to be a cardboard box? What will be inside? Like that's what I talk about creative. And I think there is still process involved in making that happen, right? You still need to deal potentially with an um, internal team or an agency and there's processes there that don't go away. But when that then starts to get into production and usually what happens is, okay, let's translate that into multiple languages or let's work out how we would scale that across the website with variations to test the copy, that's gone away. And so I think all roles in my team, I don't think there's anyone that's not creative and all roles still have process. It's just some of that in between, you know, um, when the word would be the busy work I used earlier that goes away. So I think it's a bit of both. And to your point earlier, there's some people that can lean further into one way and that's fine. And the people that like process, by the way, you know, computer engineer, I like process too, uh, can still do that too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, personalization. Everyone talks about it. I remember um, we had NAB CMO uh, a month or so ago who talked about, you know, going from, it was sort of from 50 to 500 million personalized messages. And it was all about now making sure that the creativity was, it wasn't all just vanilla and there was a lot more personalization. How has personalization changed with the tech that you've got uh, applying, that you've been applied this year? Are you doing more? Is it more relevant to smaller segments? What happens? Um, great example that we actually did have NAB and I interviewed a, an executive yesterday for some of my content. Great customer. I would say it's across all channels. So for example, our website is deploying data cloud. And so when you hit our website and we have a website by country. So if you hit the slash AU, it's the actual, and you get redirected there based on your IP address. It's the Australian version of the website. Historically, that was a hard coded page that we had to decide which customer sits on the top, what message sits in the middle, what offer is on the right. Now, Data Cloud actually works out what industry you're in, you know, reverse in looking up your IP address, working out what you know, business you're dialing in from. Uh, obviously, it's all privacy information is maintained. Um, and so especially if someone's uh, looking at that, we're, we're completely compliant there. But that now can mean if that user's logged in, which we've talked about before, we have a strategy of getting customers logged in through our, we call it a Trailblazer ID, which gives you access to all of our content. So you can come and watch everything uh, on Salesforce Plus, which is a free platform where you can learn about the product or you can get something as cool as the Ecopreneur series, which is learning about sustainability. So if you're logged in, even more personalized. So now we know what you've learned and we actually recommend trails, which are our uh, micro learning product, which would help you with the current product you have and maybe a next best one. 
So think about that. You've now logged in on the, the website. So you've just arrived on the website and you were logged in. You now not only have a hyper-relevant uh, use case, so the customer we show will be based on your industry, you will now have learning recommended to you. And these things uh, can be short. They can be like five, 10 minutes. You can also do it on your phone to learn more about marketing cloud because you've got marketing cloud. But then it might recommend a module on data cloud because that's something you should be learning about because it's the future of how we're going to have like a CDP for across your and whole you're company. And you're not defining, designing those rules. That's no. being done in real time autom- automatically. It has to be because it's based on what you've learned. Right. So I might have done that module and you may not. Mm-hmm. So for that to happen, it needs to you know check with Data Cloud behind the scenes, our version of uh, our instance of Data Cloud, and see if you've done that and then present it back to you. So that's one small example on what we call, and I like to say, our digital front door, which is uh, almost as important as the amazing tower that we have in Sydney. So does it mean then that's down to a sector-based content relevance or is it down to the individual? It's a mixture. So that page, your industry content will be for anyone in financial services. So that's the customer that we're showing you. So an NAB would, if you're another bank, may we may show you that, right? But the learning part, which we call a blade, it's a part of the website, is down to you. So it's one-to-one marketing there. How many different pieces of either personalized content or push marketing, is your volumes increasing? Yeah, so we have dedicated sections, if we're just specifically talking about on the website, where think about that homepage, there'll be like four or five personalizable blocks. But within that, like I mentioned, the learning, we have thousands of modules, right? So the combinations there are pretty endless, um, you know, in where it might be down to the promotion that we're making. So Another interesting one is we, while we're here in San Francisco, we had an in-person event in Sydney. So if you, if we worked out that you did not register for the physical event in San Francisco, we were showing you on the website in our top part of our navigation an offer to come and join us or register to join for an in-person viewing of the keynote in the Sydney Tower. So that was only possible based on your location. So uh, that is content that we're constantly flipping, but we would have had, you know, one of three offers for that versus the learning can be thousands that we offer. The promise of of personalization is all about relevancy. And so are you seeing, at least in your in your area, your business, in your with your team, are you seeing engagement rates increase? Is are open rates rising and say in an email marketing campaign? Is is the click-through rates increasing? All those things that we hear, because they're pretty I mean, I'll use the word, you don't swear, but sometimes at an industry level, it's shit, right? The numbers are pretty, very average. So are you above industry benchmarks and what is your trajectory on on those sort of, those typical engagement rates on, for instance, personalization? Have you seen improvements? Absolutely. And it depends on the use case. So sometimes you want to communicate something that you think is important to everyone. So it's not as personalized. It may be that you've dropped a new event in a city and you just want everyone to know about it because you're trying to make sure the salespeople are happy and they have people showing up to an event. But then other use cases, and this is another really cool data cloud use case that we have, is that we know if a customer, and this is the B2B marketers will understand this, using more than 90% of their licenses that they have with, with Salesforce on maybe a product like Marketing Cloud or Sales Cloud, we now know that and we want to tell them that if uh, they are wanting to, they can go and increase their licenses. Right now, we have a self-service capability. When we send that email, because it's to the person that controls the Salesforce instance, the admin or the trailblazer, 
it's very relevant because actually if they don't take an action, they may reach a, a capacity issue um, or it may be the opposite. They've, they're underutilized so they can give more people access to Salesforce. So it's very relevant to them and they can take action right now. We're seeing like 80% plus engagement on an email like that, right? Which is, you know, industries are like less than a percent on some yeah, of these things, fun. right? So that is like, so that's why I say, I, I, won't, I won't be as dramatic as saying it's every single one of our use cases getting that, but I'm pushing the team to go more towards that because that's less noise, that's more interesting, and that also helps the customer because we're not hitting them with noise and helps us at the same time. What's your range in? Is it sort of, let's say with uh, open rates, are you sitting between what, 25 and 60? That's a big range. You'd have to say, yeah, because that was an easy, that was a, that was a Dor- Dorothy Dixon. Yeah, and I, think the, and I think the top one could be even higher with right. these use cases, like I mentioned. Okay. So with the specific t- uh, tactical ones that people are really interested in, yeah, much higher than that. Final question, um, what's next? And, and what's next for you? And what are you seeing the market? How is the market um, responding to what we've seen so far this year with some of your, your AI products and across all your clouds? And it's, it's only really starting to roll out now, aren't they? Correct. Uh, GA, uh, some products have already been possible and now we've made some more things GA. So from a product point of view, there's a lot coming and uh, there's many better people to answer everything there. And, um, you know, across all the clouds, like we have so many products, uh, Slack, MuleSoft, Tableau, and all our major clouds are having innovations, um, hundreds of innovations. that, are, And we release product three plus more times a year for every product. So, but I think personally, from a marketing point of view and, and my team, we're leaning into some of our newer products. Uh, we are leveraging generative AI. We're taking it with caution on um, ensuring that we don't go doing things that we're not comfortable with. So we're using our product, we're being customer zero, and we're using some external tools, like I mentioned, in safe areas. And we're also giving feedback back to our team. And then back to your point, I'm always challenging the relationship between sales and marketing. I know some of our listeners will like that. We're pushing brand campaigns. And then for me, generally, the region, like I mentioned, is the fastest growing. So I'm pushing into new countries, opening up new segments and uh, making sure that Salesforce continues to be the number one AI CRM. It's been more than an artificial intelligent conversation, <laughs> Leandro. This was not generated with chat. No, that's right. This is real humans. Um, great having you on. Look forward to seeing what happens in you know six to twelve months' time and how all this new kit uh, is is applied. Get back to Australia at some stage. Stay safe. Thanks for joining. Thank you for coming here to San Francisco for Dreamforce. I invite everyone that's listening today, if not this time, to come in the future. But we have the whole APAC pre-show uh, and the main show on Salesforce Plus. They can sign up for free, and I hope they do that. And if you're lucky like me, he might even buy you a beer. Thanks, Leanne. <laughs> I do, yeah. You did enjoy the beer. I Thank did. you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.